0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the Health Report for RN Summer with me, Norman Swan. Today, what it's like to live with one of the most misunderstood and stigmatized mental health conditions, borderline personality disorder.
0: I didn't want to be seen, to be heard. I didn't really want to exist. I didn't feel that I was deserving of any
2: form of care there's an underlying sense of emotional pain which is uh, very difficult to live with. The patient usually knows that something is seriously amiss in their lives.
1: The reality is this disorder affects a significant number of people in the community. A large proportion of them have suffered trauma early in life. The emotional instability, the fear of abandonment and the patterns of self-harm Can alter someone's life and that of their loved ones in profound ways but as sarah sedge reports the enduring stigma around bpd means it often goes unrecognized or not properly treated and many fall through the cracks and a warning this program contains scenes that some of you might find difficult so please take care while listening
0: I'd probably spent most of my early school years as a pretty high-achieving student um, ticking a lot of those boxes on paper, so social, involved in sport and music, uh, performing quite well in school, Um, but on another level, things really weren't travelling well, so I'd probably started self-harming around age 10. At that age, you know that it's not right, um, and you know enough to hide it, so... That started a pattern of utilising cell palm as a way of managing pretty difficult emotions um, and hiding everything that was going on to me on a really personal level.
3: Natasha Swingler has lived with borderline personality disorder from a young age, though it would be years until she'd learn of her diagnosis. I was quite lucky to have a teacher at. My
0: school noticed something wasn't right when I'd gotten an exam mark back that I wasn't happy with. So he'd called me into his office at recess and I broke down. I just sat there sobbing um, and couldn't really articulate any of the things that were going on for me in my head. But at that point I had planned my own suicide um, and had every intent of attempting. Um, That teacher made contact with my mum who after school took me to a GP. Um, where we had a bit of a chat about my mood and he asked that question I'd been dreading about whether I plan to take my own life. Um, And the answer was yes. So I wound up in emergency department for the first time at 17 years old. So it was incredibly busy. It was incredibly loud. um, And I would be discharged um, that evening with no support for myself, no support for my family, um, which started a pretty much 24-7 vigil my family, checking that I was still breathing overnight.
3: The symptoms of borderline personality disorder, or BPD, can often begin in adolescence or early adulthood. They have difficulty containing their impulses. They have a tendency
2: to be attracted to addictive behaviours. But I think what BPD is particularly associated with are efforts or the impulse, if you like, to self-harm. And often that's accompanied by suicidal thoughts. So it's really up there in terms of suicidal risk.
3: Dr Martha Kent is a psychiatrist and has long advocated for a form of the mental health system for her patients living with BPD. Their emotions are intense and very
2: changeable and difficult to live with, moment to moment and day by day. And they can shift from intense anger to sadness, to despair, to mania sometimes. And often there's an underlying sense of emotional pain, which is uh,
3: very difficult to live with. Dr Kent says this inner turmoil can make it hard for people living with BPD to maintain relationships. They also
2: struggle to accept responsibility in their lives. They move from one extreme to another. They either have a tendency sometimes to blame other people for the problems that they find themselves struggling with, but then that can be replaced with intense self-blame, which then, of course, feeds into depression, despair and sometimes self-harm and
3: suicide. There can also be an overlapping with or the risk of developing other mental health conditions such as anxiety, depression and psychosis. And there's no simple way to explain what causes this complex condition.
4: We think that trauma and even stress might play a role in uh, the development of the brain in BPD. In BPD, there's actually some recent research suggesting that people with this diagnosis are nearly 14 times more likely to report childhood adversity uh, than the average person who doesn't have BPD. And this is especially true when we're talking about things like emotional abuse and neglect in people with BPD.
3: Professor Anthony Rocco from the University of Toronto studies the neurobiology of borderline personality disorder. Not everyone with BPD has experienced trauma, And of course, not everyone who's experienced trauma will develop BPD, but it's a strong risk factor. And there are other risk factors too, but there's still a lot we don't know about the causes and how risk factors and environmental conditions come together.
4: There could be a familial or even a genetic component to this. So there isn't a lot of research on this topic, especially when it comes to the interaction between genetics and uh, stress or trauma in BPD.
3: Professor Rocco also thinks stress plays a part, something he's investigating further.
4: Although we haven't confirmed this yet, there's good reason to suspect that stress might actually impact hormonal systems and uh, certain stress hormones, for example, cortisol might actually then impact the brain. And in particular, brain regions such as the hippocampus that are actually involved in regulating stress hormones. So we might actually have this kind of vicious cycle where stress impacts the brain, And the brain systems themselves might actually be involved in regulating the the stress hormones, which can then impact how the body then responds to stress. So stress actually might be translated in this kind of intricate, complex way into certain brain characteristics and might shape the development of the brain in BPD.
3: One of the symptoms of BPD is emotional dysregulation, that is the mood swings and intense emotions such as anger and despair. Professor Rocco says researchers are starting to build a clearer picture of why this occurs.
4: I think we have some beginnings to an answer of where emotion dysregulation might come from in the brain. Uh, So some research would suggest that there are disruptions in neural networks in the brain, and these are especially in the frontal brain regions that appear to be involved in regulating one's emotions. And at the same time, we see potentially deeper regions of the brain, uh, such as the amygdala, activating differently uh, and especially in combination with the frontal regions of the brain. And we think that these deeper brain regions might be involved in representing how intensely someone experiences emotion. So what I'm suggesting is that there might be this imbalance in the interaction between brain systems that are involved in regulating emotions and those brain systems that are involved in representing or even generating emotions in BPD.
0: For me, it saw me believe that this was all my life would ever amount to. That it didn't matter how hard I tried, it wouldn't be worth it. That my life would never be worth living. That it was always going to be awful. That I would always be a burden.
2: The coroner conducted an inquiry into the untimely deaths of two young women who had severe borderline personality disorder and who had struggled to get the treatment that they needed.
3: You're listening to RN's Health Report. This is a special feature on borderline personality disorder. I'm Sarah Seggi. As we've heard, this is a complex condition and there's still a lot we don't know. Many people can spend years being misdiagnosed and that's time they're not getting the help they need. What stands out to Natasha Swingler from her early interactions with the health system is the feeling she wasn't understood by the very people that were meant to be looking after her. The treatments and therapies that were given weren't right or weren't enough. But every expert interviewed for this program was clear. With the right diagnosis, BPD is treatable.
5: What's really been interesting over the last decade is the evidence that simpler treatments are actually very effective. We published a, a trial a number of years ago, over a decade ago, showing that a relatively simple comparison treatment was as good as a treatment that involved a more complex psychotherapy. There are often much simpler treatments that involve uh, attending to the general problems that people with personality disorder present with and also being non-reactive to the uh, kind of provocations of uh, their interpersonal difficulties.
3: Professor Andrew Channon is the Director of Clinical Services at the Youth Mental Health Organisation, Origin. He's developed treatment programs for people living with BPD.
5: Being able to take their problems seriously, being able to attend to the co-occurring mental health problems that they have, often depression, anxiety, psychosis, that come along with this, and also being able to attend to the physical health problems that they also present with. And these simpler treatments, at the core of them, you really need to have somebody doing clinical case management for people with the most severe forms of, of problems because they often have a range of difficulties in their lives that include unemployment, uh, homelessness uh, or housing instability uh, and a range of other difficulties that, that also need to be attended to. And the evidence is that when you attend to these the myriad of problems uh, and support the person then the outcome can be very good.
6: In many ways, the diagnosis is actually a hopeful diagnosis because psychological therapies tend to work. And once people get good psychological therapy, they can remain relatively well for most of their life.
3: In New South Wales, Project AIR at the University of Wollongong researches and guides an evidence-based strategy to support people living with personality disorders, Its director is Professor Bryn Grenier.
6: Borderline personality disorder is one of the psychological problems that actually doesn't have any drug therapy. So unlike depression or schizophrenia and some of the other major psychiatric disorders, the only therapy that seems to work with borderline personality disorder is psychological treatment. So working with a counsellor, working on trying to understand yourself and understanding your relationships is very helpful and people can really develop a lot of skills and strategies to help them when they feel triggered, when they feel unsafe, when they feel like they uh, are losing control. So there's a number of evidence-based psychological therapies. Dialectical behavior therapy is one of them. Psychodynamic therapies that help the person understand themselves and help them understand their relationships are also very effective. Therapies
3: like these teach strategies to cope with stress, regulate emotions, and give insight into thoughts and behaviors. And as Professor Rocco explains, there's biological proof these treatments can work.
4: We know that BPD is treatable uh, so long as people with BPD are really uh, given access to treatments that are research supported. Um, and so, We even actually see evidence from brain imaging showing that people with BPD who undergo psychotherapy show not only changes in symptoms of emotion regulation and symptoms of impulse control, we actually also see corresponding changes in frontal regions of the brain. We see corresponding changes potentially in more deeper brain regions such as the amygdala. where psychotherapy seems to potentially be impacting how the brain is processing and regulating emotions. So we can actually see evidence, not only in the symptoms that people experience um, who undergo psychotherapy, but also in the actual neural correlates of these symptoms in people with BPD.
3: So if there are treatments that work, why are so many people living with borderline personality disorder falling through the cracks? So
0: I would find out about my diagnosis while I was involved in a research study, completing the informed consent forms. Um, And I'd turn around to this poor researcher and say, oh, um, I I don't actually have BPD. Um, And the researcher just turned around and was like, "Ah, that's not the case, I'm sorry. And I think that for me was one of the first recognitions that it was just something we didn't talk about. It was one of those diagnoses that Yeah, you could be labelled with it, um, but there was no further discussion beyond that because it was so stigmatised. It was one of those things that you didn't want to have attached to you in any way, shape or form.
3: BPD is highly stigmatised and there's an enduring myth in the health system that treatments don't work. There's also a lack of trained health workers in BPD and limited access to the right support it takes a devastating toll on people.
2: I was offering psychotherapy to women
3: patients particularly
2: and increasingly more and more of my patients were suffering from BPD and it became apparent to me that the the gaps in the system of care for people with BPD were making the problem worse and it just seemed to me to be an issue of social justice. Not to mention uh, the fact that although BPD occurs in similar prevalence between men and women, it was usually the women I saw who were seeking help and were being turned away in some shape or form or not getting the help they needed. And that just seemed to me to be unjust.
3: Dr Martha Kent pushed for change in South Australia. I
2: decided together with a small group of people in South Australia, who were equally dismayed by the lack of care that was being afforded to people with BPD. And it must be added that the carers of people with BPD have been a very significant voice in this situation because they are terrified that their loved one will commit suicide and they tear their hair out, that they don't seem to be able to find appropriate care So increasingly, there was a small group of consumers, myself and carers in South Australia who basically knocked on doors wherever we could, particularly we lobbied politicians of all persuasions.
3: It took perseverance, but momentum for change was gathering. And in early 2018, a coronial inquest found that the high death rates of people living with BPD would continue if the right services were not put in place.
2: We had lobbied the coroner a number of times to examine the problem of deaths in the context of people with BPD. And uh, the coroner conducted an inquiry into the untimely deaths of two young women who had severe borderline personality disorder and who had struggled to get the treatment that they needed. And the assistant coroner wrote a very critical, in fact, scathing report of the fact that there had been a variety of recommendations in the reports that we had written over the years, all of which pretty much had been strenuously ignored by um, the health system and by the political system was scathing in her criticism of the state of play and the fact that these young women had died. And I think that, together with the lobbying, pushed the politicians uh, finally into offering South Australians, the community of South Australia, adequate resources to set up a specialised unit, and that's what we did.
3: Dr Kent describes the system overall in Australia as one with pockets of very good care, but there are major gaps. Another problem can arise when people are directed to services in the private system, as the gap payment to see a psychiatrist or a psychologist can be hard to afford. And the complexity of the condition means it requires skilled treatment providers.
2: A lot of people in the mental health system or in the health system simply do not feel equipped to offer skilled, compassionate treatment to people with BPD because they haven't
3: had the training. It's the complexity of the condition and that lack of specialist understanding which can often delay a diagnosis and lead to people being misdiagnosed for years.
2: It's very confusing for the patient because the patient usually knows that something is seriously amiss in their lives. They feel understandably that they're not getting the serious consideration and treatment that they deserve, added to which the diagnoses change. So it'll be depression one week, anxiety another week, post-traumatic stress disorder another week. And there's just no consistency there. And I think there is every indication from my experience and from the literature that people with BPD are not treated as seriously as people with other mental illnesses. There's a very ambivalent relationship at best between often, not always, but often between mental health workers and people with BPD and there are many examples of people with BPD who are refused admission or treatment because the treating clinician considers that BPD is not a genuine mental illness.
5: People with uh, severe personality disorder get diminished access to the mental health system and uh, regrettably, people still experience harm at the hands of some people uh, within the mental health system. So uh, discrimination is a major problem for people with uh, personality disorder. If you meet somebody with uh, borderline personality disorder in an acute crisis, they're certainly uh, highly distressed and often difficult to engage in in a conversation. You can imagine somebody presenting to an emergency department in that kind of state given the, the culture of the health system that doesn't really accept this problem, uh, that it's a recipe for people to uh, be treated very badly. And so an emergency department is really a uh, you know far from ideal place for somebody with personality disorder to get care. There's a lot of people lying in beds uh, who are very sick and people are wanting uh, the person with personality disorder to be uh, calm and well-behaved. And, of course, that's the last thing that they're able to do not because they deliberately want to be that way, but because they don't have the control over their emotions or their behaviour that you would expect of other people.
0: We see young people with BPD in Australia sometimes, but even more so overseas, discharged from, say, an inpatient stay with no support and still with active plans and intent for their own death because they're seen as manipulative When you are continually told that you are manipulative, that you are an inherently bad person, how do you distance that from your own beliefs about yourself?
3: Natasha Swingler knows that stigma well. It was something she started to internalise early on when she was trying to get help.
0: Don't trust what you're reading necessarily online or hearing portrayed in the media or from other people that don't have a lived experience of BPD. Those of us that have a lived experience of BPD can tell you how incredibly difficult it's been not only to access the care that we've needed, but to make some of the changes in our life for the better. Simply living a life where we're not continually faced by stigma and hatred.
3: Professor Channon says it's time for the stigma around BPD and the idea that it's untreatable, to end.
5: I'm ashamed to say that it's largely many of my colleagues who still perpetuate this myth that the problem is uh, untreatable or uh, unresponsive to conventional treatments. And that is so far from the truth. And there's really overwhelming evidence now, and it's a a source of great frustration that uh, people still... Uh, teach this in undergraduate courses and that this myth is perpetuated. Uh, The evidence is very strong and I think the onus is on those people who claim that to really prove that it is untreatable because in fact the evidence is very strongly in favour of its treatability.
3: And if the right treatment is given early on, he says it can change lives.
5: One of the exciting areas of work uh, that we're doing is in the area of prevention and early intervention, and advances in early intervention really promise to head off a lot of those uh, both mental and physical health consequences, and we hope some of the premature mortality by addressing many of these problems as early as possible.
0: I think early intervention is incredibly important, and that's not with the purpose to label people, but to ensure that adequate support is provided to them and the skills that they need to manage and to build a life that they really want um, is taught. And not every type of therapy will work for every individual. Um, There are different therapies, but it's hard to access it's incredibly difficult to access. And until that changes, unfortunately, we will continue to see people die.
3: The right treatment finally came for Natasha Swingler. By chance, she encountered a case manager with experience in dialectical behaviour therapy, a treatment that teaches skills and ways to manage emotions such as distress. She quite
0: consistently and gently prodded away at a lot of that self-stigma. Um, And we started to do a lot of work within the DBT realm um, about distress tolerance and mindfulness and emotion regulation and interpersonal relationships and so on, that were incredible game-changers for me. So in the space of probably a couple of months, I'd gone from this individual that was self-harming most days and needing medical attention to manage that, Um, to someone that was managing to make it weeks then months without engaging in self-harm at all. And at this point, self-harm had been probably one of the few consistencies in my life and something I'd drawn on for about 10 years. Um, And this therapy changed that. Yeah, I cannot speak highly enough about DBT, let alone that case manager and how well-informed she was, how willing and curious and non-judgmental she was in her approach.
2: I think we can readily lose sight of the fact that people with BPD have got immense courage, energy, initiative, resourcefulness, creativity. You know, despite all the barriers that they have experienced, people with BPD don't
3: give up easily. They really don't. They persevere. Dr Martha Kent wants to see old stigmas stamped out for good. And I think it's really
2: important for us all to remain optimistic, to remember that the literature says that there is improvement, significant improvement that can be anticipated if people get good enough treatment for long enough. I think basically it's a message of hope and optimism
3: which often gets overlooked. Natasha Swingler now works for a mental health service, with people with complex mental illness. Having people like her with lived experience, who really understand what others are going through, is a powerful therapeutic tool. Natasha says she still has bad days living with BPD, but the difference is she has the skills to manage those. We need to understand and recognise that BPD
0: is treatable, that it is manageable. It's just a matter of finding what it is that works for an individual. And yes, that takes time. Um, but don't we all deserve to live a life like that?
1: Natasha Swingler ended this feature by Sarah Seji. If this has caused you concern or distress, you can always phone Lifeline on one It's also important that if this has rung bells for you in terms of you or somebody you know and they need help, is to be directed to resources which are evidence-based. Origin can help you there. We will put links to such resources on our website. And the key thing here is that with the people who are looking after you, particularly your GP, maybe other psychologists, is not to take no for an answer and really to push for the right care at the right time. This has been The Health Report. I'm Norman Swan. See you next week.